Hello and welcome to Whiskey Sisters, the podcast. I am Inka Larissa. And my name is Jennifer Rose. Together, we will be bringing you a weekly whiskey podcast where we'll be discovering drams, exploring distilleries, talking to industry experts, and sharing other whiskey adventures. Not only will we be sticking our noses into our drams, but also into all things new and current in the whiskey universe, with a leading commentary, of course. You're listening to Whiskey Sisters, the podcast. In today's episode, we will have a special guest from Bunahaven Distillery and we will be sampling some of their whiskies too. Best episode ever. <laughs> I'm so excited about this one. I've been dying to talk to David, but before we do, let's stick our noses into the latest whiskey news. Stick your nose in it. So, independent whisky specialist Elixir Distillers are buying Tormor Distillery from Pernod Ricard for an undisclosed sum. The deal also includes inventory of aged stock. And one of the larger Scottish distilleries, Tormor, was built in 1960 and was designed by renowned architect and president of the Royal Academy, Sir Albert Richardson, whose style apparently combined neoclassicism. The distillery was historically known as the Pearl of Speyside and its stunning architectural design was recognised in 1986 when the distillery was granted listed building status. And it's been owned by Pernod Ricard since 2005. That's quite a cute name, isn't it? Like the Pearl of Speyside. Lovely. Although, like, Scotland's one of Scotland's largest distilleries. I've never actually heard of it. Have it's, you? N- no, I have not. So it turns out, I did some digging, had to find out more. Turns mm-hmm. out that Tormor is one of the malls used in Ballantines. So I wonder what happens to Ballantines because it's still going to be owned by Bernard Ricard. So are they buying whiskey from them or do they just literally have to yeah. change the recipe for Ballantines? Yeah. Yeah. Also, they, they were making single malts, but it never really, or they never really received any backing. People weren't interested maybe, or although they did do some, like, I, mean, I think it was two bottlings that were quite big in the French market. So okay. it seemed like it was going to pick up, but then obviously it didn't. So that's why they probably decided to sell it. And there was also news different news about possible relocation of one of the world's finest collections of scotch whiskey from netherlands to scotland yeah so this headline tell us a bit about that then yeah so scotch whiskey investments intends to showcase the unseen valentino zagatti collection in a new museum in fife so it's just this italian guy who's been collecting or his family probably has been collecting these whiskies and they basically just been showcasing them in a museum. And the collection features more than 3,000 bottles and close to 300 whiskey brands, of which 97% are Scottish whiskey. Wow, that's quite the collection, isn't it? Yeah, and about a um, quarter of the bottles are from three distilleries, Glen Farkless, Macallan, no surprise, and Glen Grant. I wonder if they was just like obsessed with those particular whiskies. Wonder what the story is yeah, there well, with his collection. Well, well there's also because several bottles were pro- actually produced during the World War Two, and twenty-two of the bottles were distilled in the nineteenth century. Oh. So maybe it's also about the age of these distilleries, or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. But I would definitely go and see it. If it, yeah. it's still on the kind of planning stages and trying to make it happen. So if it does happen, we should definitely go and see it. Definitely. 
sisters. So, Jen, because we're talking about Bunahavin, or is it Bunabarbin or Bunavin? Who knows? Like, people say it so differently. So um, many different ways. Even last weekend, I heard someone talking about Bunavin and they said Bunabarbin. <laughs> <That's laughs> that was really cute. Yeah, that is um, cute. But so, what is you like the most about the distillery or the whiskey? Well, as you know, I've not yet visited the distillery, but that is high on my list. You know, we we recently, well, we did our episode, didn't we, on whiskey and memories. So I think a lot of my relationship with Buna is entangled in really positive memories of first tasting it when I was in this beautiful hotel in Pitlochry and this super wise like woman that knew loads about whiskey that was working behind the bar kind of first directed me to it, but just found it a beautiful kind of a beautiful array of aromas and flavors but at the same time it just felt really kind of simple and easy to sip and I just felt completely at home with it so I was Mm. kind of yeah much like I said in our sort of first episode so I just feel I have this really sort of grounded love of the whiskey and on a superficial level I love the chunky stumpy bottles well they're quite tall (laughs) but they're just cute and I like that you can't see the color through it which adds like some mystery and I love the logo of the kind of little seafarer yeah I love the ocean I'm just like (laughs) yeah I love it and I guess as well one of the things I love now is do you know what perhaps you never know but perhaps if we didn't have that um, alignment of our Buna love, there might be no Whiskey Sisters podcast, Inca. <gasps> or our listeners are gasping for air. <laughs> People are screaming, yeah. no! no. <laughs> but now we are here to stay. Indeed. Try to get rid of us. <laughs> That's it. Talking, <laughs> talking and drinking to the grave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think for me as well, when I first went to Ireland, when I first tried to try to get into, I was in my Scotch whiskey mission to, you know, wanted to love it, but I wasn't sure. And I went yeah. to Isla, which, you know, as we know the story. But then Buna was the first whiskey that I tried that wasn't peated mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. obviously maybe the shock of all the Lafroic <laughs> and everything else I'm like oh this is so good thank god something a bit different <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but it was also before they had the whole revamp of the distillery so it was a bit rough and cozy and just kind of yeah just come to the office and try these whiskeys almost like <laughs> It yeah, was there, cute. there wasn't like a big glossy marketing spin on things no, when you visited. I was just, I just started my kind of love relationship with Scotland, you know, haven't been that many times. So yeah. going to on an island and the distiller is right by the sea and the, they had lots of casks outside and the views. Lovely, and yeah. Just the, it was just the location, the timing, you know. Sounds it, quite atmospheric. Yeah, it was. It was. And I really just loved it. And I am sipping the same whiskey right now. Indeed. I have the same <laughs> in my glass. If, yeah. if we were recording in the same studio tonight, we could do a cheers, but I'll cheers oh, yeah. myself. That was a really bad cheers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Mine is better. <laughs> <sighs> I found something new about Buna that... I had never heard before. Oh, what's that? So back in the day, 
Buna, but obviously quite a lot of Scotch whiskey in general were used for different blends. So Buna was also used for blends, well, for like loads of different brands, but it performed the central role in three different blends. Right. Famous Grouse, Cutty Sark, which we mentioned just recently. Yeah. And Black Bottle. No way. Yeah, I had no idea. No, me either. That's a bit of a funky fact then. Yeah, so I'm just wondering, are they still part of Famous Crowds or Cutty Sark or what's what's going on? We need to ask David. Yes, we'll definitely ask David. That's It wasn't until 1980s, so Buna was founded in 1881. Okay. So it wasn't until the 1980s that it started properly to bring out single malts. But they mm-hmm. had this tagline, the unpronounceable malt. <laughs> <laughs> which I just loved I never knew that That's but it's brilliant. so true like it's still true yeah we, we can't I love toy tech agar but I actually don't know if it's even meant <laughs> if it's actually pronounced like toy tech agar <laughs> and like buna buna haven buna babin whatever yeah that's making me real. If they do still I'm I'm wanting to try the blends and see if I can detect the buna notes yeah in exactly maybe maybe we'll get the bias about certain blends yeah because we know there's Buna in it and we'll be biased. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, let's bring in our guests to chat more about the different releases and, oh, at long last, to help us say them properly. David Brody. Hi, David, and a warm welcome to the Whiskey Sisters podcast. Could you start by telling us a little bit about your position at the distillery? So, my, my name's David Brody, and in the, the rawest terms, I'm a tour guide at Bonnehaven Distillery. Although, to be honest, it's it's probably two and a half years since I did a tour. Oh. We've had no production tours on. So essentially, um, I, I welcome people to the visitor centre. <laughs> I, I, I run a lot of the actual tastings. Uh, I do a lot of my work in the warehouse where we do tastings. But also, <laughs> I, uh, I just try and kind of promote the, the brand everywhere and anywhere that I can. So if, if it's a job title, it's tour guide, uh, I, I try to be a little bit more than that. It sounds a lot more than that. Yeah. <laughs> I, are you originally from Isla? I, I, I'm not actually in I'm originally from the town of Helensburgh. For those that are unaware, Helensburgh sits on the banks of the River Clyde and it's about 20 miles west of Glasgow. Ah. So, so that's where I was born and brought up. So, so, that, so you were always near the water, David? The, the water has always been on the doorstep. Yeah. So uh, when I'm asked, Helensburgh is my, my hometown, mm-hmm. but Isla is, is my home. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I first came to Isla in 1991. Oh, that long um, ago? That long ago. Um, back in those days, uh, I worked in the Royal Bank. Then in 1998, Eight, I get the chance to come back to Isla uh, as again as the bank manager, and I took that opportunity because we we loved the place. And back in those days, there was there was a fairly strict kind of a social calendar. There was a lot more functions, social events relating to different organisations and clubs. There was almost something on every weekend, and we really didn't feel that in the the year and a half that we'd we'd been here, we had been able to do the the whole experience justice. Mm-hmm. So we'd always held the hope that we might get back to Isla one day. The opportunity presented itself and we came back. 
And uh, I, I thought, well, I'm already getting old. What can I do to see out my working days <laughs> that I'm maybe going to enjoy? And uh, the the idea of, of working in a distillery, but not in production with the visitors appealed to me. And it just coincided with the fact that there was a, a vacancy at Bonahaven at that time. And, and not, that's uh, it, not just any distillery, a magical distillery. Yeah, as it turned out, yeah, for, for, for me um, personally, I think it was a little bit of a, a match made in heaven from my point of view, because at that time, Bonahaven were a bit late to the party with really throwing themselves behind the visitor experience. They'd done, yeah. a, little bit, they'd done a little bit, they'd kind of started to, to, to work away at it, but um, I mean, at that time, when I, when I started in 2015, we were still, if anyone's familiar with the Bonahaven setup, we were still in the production courtyard, up the stairs in the office suite, in one little room. But now we've moved into a purpose-built, bright, shiny new uh, visitor centre. And um, it's it's really enjoyable to work out of. So, yeah. so yes, I'm enjoying it while I can. That's great. That's how it should be. Enjoy it. Exactly. So I wanted to ask you, how, how would you best describe Benavin whiskies? What makes them unique from other Isla whiskies, Isla single malts? Yeah, um, I mean, there's... There's a few kind of catchphrases get get thrown at it, you know, the, the lighter side of Isla whiskey, the, the softer side of Isla whiskey. Yeah. And there's, there's mileage in that because Isla's known for its peated whiskies, by and largely. That's that's the kind of trademark of Isla whiskies. We're a bit different. Us and Brooklady, uh, we're the distilleries whose production is predominantly unpeated. Mm-hmm. We're still about 80% of our product is unpeated. A lot of people wonder how that kind of came about. Why, why, why are we so different to so many of the other distilleries? And um, if you go back 60 years or so, prior to the very early 1960s, we were churning out the same kind of stuff that the rest of the island is is more famous for, the kind of heavy, oily, very peaty whiskey. Ah, okay. We were doing that as well. But you have to kind of keep in mind that back in those days, Nobody was really drinking single malt whiskey. Yeah, blend. Right, it was it was a world of blended whiskies. Mm-hmm. Now our owners at the time, who are not our, our current owners, but our owners at the time had a blended whiskey, which we all know the name of. Um, we've all seen the bottles. Probably nowadays, kind of very few people have maybe tasted it, and that's Cutty Sark. <gasps> yeah. We were going to ask you about that. Yeah, well, there you go. I must, I must have known you were going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah, our, our owners then, Cutty Sark was on their books, and it was a massive brand. Mm-hmm. Um, it was huge. It was like the third biggest selling blend in the United States, and um, it was, you know, very, very well known. And our then owners actually needed more unpeated malt to go into the blend. That makes sense, doesn't it? And for that reason, it was a full kind of um, renovation, an extra pair of stills brought in, and a complete change in the direction of the production moved across to unpeated. Yeah. How about the blends? Do they still do any blends? Because obviously we also found out that there used to be Buna in Famous Krause and Black Bottle. Yeah. So Black Bottle is essentially our blend Blended brand or our branded blend, whatever way around you want to say that. But, but that's okay. part, of, part of our same company. Our, our company, um, the, the Scotch uh, Whiskey 
side of, of the Distel uh, company at this point in time consists of ourselves, our friends at Tobermory, and our friends at Deanson. Yeah. There's also the two blended whiskies within the, the range, and that is Scottish Leader, and Deanson is a big uh, contributing factor to Scottish Leader. Okay. And also Black Bottle. And Black oh. Bottle is essentially the blend that gets the bon Haven in it. Ah, that's why Black Bottle gets such a good reviews all the time. Yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 a funny one. It's it's great that uh, that that Julianne particularly, and and now that Brendan's on board, that they've got the the Black Bottle on a bit of a roll again, and and really the the, the quality of it as a blend, there's not much to match it. But in the old days, the the tagline for Black Bottle was that it was a little bit of every Isla malt. Because they used to throw a bit of of all of the distilleries that were going at that time into Black Bottle. That became difficult to maintain. I think there was some problems getting uh, Lagavulin and obviously Portellin became ridiculously difficult to get. The company were left with a bit of a problem that they had to try and, and surmount. And that was that they were going to have to change the Black Bottle. Right. They couldn't keep saying a little bit of every Isla malt. Yeah. So they were they were left with two choices. Do we change it to almost surreal, ridiculous sounding, a little bit of most of the Isla malt? <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or do we just change tack altogether? Yeah. And uh, and and use what we know we have, which is Bonahaven. I'm yeah. so keen to try it now. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's a good I think, price I think, point as well. I think it's great. I think it's lovely. And and they've also, they've been experimenting a little bit. They've been doing some older. They did a 10-year-old, which was mm-hmm. a little bit more akin to the, the, the previous version. Mm-hmm. But they also did one that was more heavily peated. And they also did one which was more heavily sherried. When the Black Bottle recipe was changed, it split the drinking field down the middle. Yeah. Your, your regular Black Bottle uh, drinkers, about half of them rebelled and says, this isn't the same, this isn't what I was drinking before, I'm not drinking this anymore. And about half of them stayed. Now, what didn't happen was you didn't get a new half immediately on board. And it's taken a bit of time for it to kind of come back on board, but there is absolutely no doubt about it. If you're not averse to a blended whiskey, and why mm-hmm. would you be? Mm-hmm. Black Bottle's a great product. It's, it's Excellent. Absolutely. David, yeah. can I take you back to something you mentioned at the start of of that they are saying about Muna can be described in, in different ways. I've heard it referred to as the lady whiskey. Is that is that right? Yes, but almost by default. Right. It's, it's, it's funny because um, the first year that I was uh, working in that little shop at the top of the stairs in the, in the courtyard, the lady, the young lady who, who was essentially in charge of the visitor um, experience at that time had drawn up um, a chalkboard with the most kind of, how can I say it, the most off the top of her own head, her description of what the kind of co-range whiskies were. Right. <laughs> and for some reason, she thought that it was a good idea to call the 12-year-old the ladies' dram. Wow. Because it's kind of softer, you uh-huh, know, and, uh-huh. and, yeah. and an easy drinking whiskey. But it's a bit demeaning to call it the mm. ladies' dram. Um, <laughs> to both ladies and to guys. <laughs> because because oh. yeah, it's a it's a soft soft drinking whiskey, but it's a soft drinking whiskey to us and yourselves. You know? Yeah, it's, exactly. 
it, it, everyone. it shouldn't be something that's divided by by gender and, and yeah, that, of course. that's a whole world we just don't want to get into it this time, you know. <laughs> no. but I think that's maybe where that came from. Yeah. This little tasting note, you know, or oh, this is the ladies' dram. Bernavin used to also have a tagline, the unpronounceable malt, which we were <laughs> laughing about earlier because we, we can't pronounce. Like, my, one of my favourites is the Toitik Agar, but I don't yeah. actually even know if that's how you say it. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, it does throw up some, some interesting uh, kind of moments. Strangely enough, I don't know if you noticed on Twitter the other day, but but um, renowned whiskey writer and um, founder of World Whiskey Day, Mr. Mr. Blair Bowman. Blair Bowman, yeah. Blair had put a tweet up saying just just a little one-liner just to generate a bit of clicking i think was um what is the most unpronounceable scottish distillery ah. and a few people were throwing throwing bonahaven into the mix and um probably rightly so i actually went back and i said um yeah it is probably us at this moment in time because the two most often used versions of the pronunciation of our distillery are both to to my mind at least are both wrong because, <laughs> what, because the, versions, the versions you'll get, uh, some people will say, and, and this is without going into the ones that, that give it hab hating and all that kind of thing, because <laughs> the, bit at the, end, the bit at the end is having. But, having. Yeah, but the, the, the two most o- often um, quoted versions are Bunna Haven and Buna Haven. And actually, Buna Haven, I think, if you look at the phonetic explanation on the bottles, I think it suggests Bunahaven as in B double O N. Yeah, that's kind of what I've been yeah. but, trying to trying to roll with. So that's wrong. If, if, if you speak to the locals, mm-hmm. and there are only now two, and that's Andrew, the production manager, and his wife Alison. They're the only ones that live on site. Mm-hmm. But if you speak to Andrew, and Andrew has been at the distillery for many, many years. And if you speak to Lillian, who's the office administrator, they say it the same way as I do. They say Bonahaven. Bonahaven. Yes. Oh. So if uh, the real way is the way that the locals say it, then that that would be how you say it. Keeping us all on our toes. The kind of main market whiskey now, which is the green packaging, the, the non-age statement, and, and that is Sturiger. I was just going to ask yeah. you about that. Sturiger. Yeah. So it's it's more of a shh at the start of it. Sturiger. Sturiger. Oh, I, I yeah. like, it's like Sturiger. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I like think, a glass of that. I enjoy that dram. I, I think as well. It, it translates from the Gaelic as the helmsman. The next one's quite easy. It's pronounced 12-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the one that you that you mentioned earlier, um, the the, the peated product in the core range, Tochikaga. Tochikaga. It's much easier to say the more of it you drink. <laughs> yeah, we do love a glass of that. It's when I had COVID, fun. David Inca bought me a bottle of that to help me recover. Nice. No, it's 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 a it's a, a lovely product. So it's it's about the same cask balance. As the the twelve year old, it's about three quarters towards eighty percent sherry cask, bit of bourbon barrel in it. Obviously, you've got the peating, lovely, lovely whiskey. How mm. much peated whiskey are you guys producing at the moment? We had got to a kind of high point of nearly forty percent of production oh. either last year or the year before was peated. There's going to be a, a rolling back more towards the unpeated side, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
and the peated will be done to meet demand. It won't be a it won't be a, a, a target. It will be essentially we will produce peated product to meet the demand for peated product. Mm-hmm. But Brendan's philosophy, his kind of um, belief, if you like, for Bonahaven is unpeated sherry cask, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And 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 I think that's where we've put ourselves in the marketplace. Yeah, there's two that I'm dying to try. It's the 18-year-old and the cask strength 12-year-old. Yeah. Last night and a little bit this morning, I was on the Australian Whiskey Facebook page mm-hmm. uh, talking to a couple of guys um, about the cask strength 12-year-old. One of them had tasted it, uh, expecting it to be just a ramped-up version of the standard 12-year-old, mm. and it's not that. It's, it, it stands in its own two feet. It's a hundred percent all or also sherry cask. So there's there's not a there's no bourbon barrel influence in it. Okay. At all. And this this gentleman's kind of saying, oh, I was expected to get a bit, bit of the vanilla sweetness kind of thing. I'd said, well, no, it's yeah, it's it, it's not a straight comparison. It's not just a ramped up version of the twelve year old. You have to take it on its own merits. Yeah, I think a lot of people are confused yeah. by that. And then another chap came on in, in re- response to that and said, um, where did you read that? Because that's not what I read. <laughs> so I, I had to kind of say, without trying to put him down about it, I had to say, well, I, I worked there and I've spoken to the master distiller about these things. <laughs> so, uh, so, Take so, that. Yeah, so, so I, 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 I think my sources are good. So, uh, Brilliant. Yeah, the 18 is, is great. And it's a kind of uh, not a very well kept secret that the last couple of batches have been probably fractionally older than eighteen. But again, hundred percent all are also sherry cask. So how about these samples that you sent us? Thank you so much for these. So we yeah. had the PX No and to the two thousand and fourteen Canasta yeah. cask well, finish. So I, so why did you choose these two? So I, I picked these two really because of this whole sherry thing that we've got going on. The 2004, the Pedro Jimenez uh, Noe, that, that's the third cask in a series that we've had through Warehouse 9, where we do our warehouse tastings. And this is cask 559, but there were all this Noe, PX, Pedro Jimenez Noe is actually almost a brand name. Yeah. From the Gonzalez Bias Sherry House. Yeah. How does it differ from the, like, just the classic PX? Yeah. Well, so, so the the significance of the little word Noe, because Noe is what we would call the VORS from Gonzales Spice for their Pedro Jimenez sherry. VORS has been anglified. We've stolen it. We say very old, rare sherry, mm-hmm. but it's actually a Latin phrase that can be looked up. But the significance of it is that the sherry used to condition the cask had spent at the very minimum thirty years working down through the Solera system in the bodega. Wow. Okay. Before the before the liquid was then used to condition the cask for us. What sometimes happens with vintage sherry and also vintage port, something that's at least 30 years and sometimes over in age, sometimes they actually lose their colour. Yeah. So you get all that beautiful, rich flavour, the mouth feel, everything, the characteristics are all there, everything that you're looking for. And you look at the dram and you think, oh, looks like a five-year-old bourbon barrel. Uh-huh, yeah. The word Noah actually translates as Noah from the Bible. Oh. If you look at um, Gonzalez Bias Sherry's, you will see that 
their other VORSs, their other 30 plus year old sherries quite often have a biblical name. Cool. Can we ask you a bit about the canasta, but that's a sherry cask, but what what you feel makes that so special? We've obviously been doing our kind of standard warehouse nine tastings now since 2015. And they've grown, they've, they've grown arms and legs. It's, it's become quite an event in its own right, and it's got a great reputation. We decided that we would set up a new tasting. We thought that what we would do is we would get five sherry casks, different types of sherry. We would then match them with a little taste of the actual sherries themselves. We had the casks all set up for it, and it was great. And then, guess what? Pandemic. Um... And we couldn't do the tasting. So mm-hmm. we had the whiskies, we couldn't do the tasting. So essentially, what's the best thing we can do? Let's hand fill the casks into bottles and we'll sell them away. Yeah. One of the casks was a canasta, but canasta is not a type of sherry. Canasta is a brand. Cream sherry made by Williams and Humbert. But okay. it's a little bit different to general cream sherries because cream sherries are essentially blends of other types of sherry. The most mm-hmm. common way that you'll get a cream sherry is the cellar master in the bodega will be looking at all the Rosso sherry. You'll be sampling it, he'll be tasting it, and he'll go a little bit too dry. Mm-hmm. Let's get some Pedro Jimenez, throw that in, give it a bit of a stir. That's nicer. Cream sherry. That'll sell. What okay. Williams and Humbert actually do is they actually select their premium quality wines. And Inca, you know all about sherries. I've seen your article. <laughs> yeah. But See, Williams and Humbert, the cellar master's picked his his best Oloroso juice. He's picked his Pedro Jimenez juice. He marries them together at the start of the process. And they then work their way down through the Solera system of casks in the bodega as one unit. It was really nice, the, the canasta. We're, obviously, yeah. we're doing our tasting notes in a yeah. little while in this episode, but it was definitely different to most sherried whiskeys that we've tried. Yeah. yeah. For my mind, it works really, really well with our, our spirit. This one is only six years old, 61%. But for me, if you didn't know those numbers, you would never guess them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It kind of belies the numbers. And for, from that point of view, it can be a very dangerous whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly a very special whiskey. So so, so there we go. You know, that's, yeah. that's, that's the two that I bought for you. It's nice to see that the distiller is bringing out all these unique cask releases and like the Tokai and Amontillado, Saturnus. Yeah. So what would you say is your favourite cask finish? Oh, it's a difficult one, but but I do tend to uh, have a bit of a sweet tooth. So I tend to, to lean towards Pedro Jimenez. Last year's festival bottle, we did 5,000 of the Monia Bordeaux, so peated. It was strong, it was 59.5%, but it was just a fruit bomb. It was a wonderful, wonderful yeah. one. That one really blew me away because my, my kind of general wine, as in wine cask, I don't usually get on with them so well. But mm-hmm. that one just just hit, hit, the, hit the button for me, you know? There's never any rules with whiskey. There's never a right or a wrong. And don't put yourself down one track. Yeah, yeah. Go drink, drink with your eyes open, you know? Absolutely. Good advice. And David, we cannot let you go without asking our Whiskey Sisters question of who would your dream dram be with? And we mean like a celebrity, dead or alive. Mm -hmm. If you could share a whiskey with, who would it be? You did forewarn me about this question. I did know this question. (laughs) And and I have toyed with 
with a number of names. Oh. And uh, I I have come to a conclusion actually just this morning before we, we, we came on to do this. And it would be uh, a gentleman called Robert Burns. Oh, amazing and choice. Tell us why, David. I, I would just love to ask him how he managed to do all the things that he did, how he managed to cram such a number of achievements. And they weren't all good achievements, but that was one of the, the fullest lives anyone has ever lived. Mm -hmm. And it was only 37 years long. Which is quite mind-blowing when you think of it, isn't it? The legacy that he's left. Yeah, when, when you think of what the world must have been back then, 1759 he was born, you know. You didn't have any kind of a modern way of living, you know. If he wanted to go somewhere, he'd have been in the back of a horse. And um, I think he went plenty of places, you know. I think he had, you know, something like 13 documented children off of a four different ladies. He and kept himself busy. Yeah, that's obviously <laughs> one that, that he get, you know, he get found out about. But uh, but his his legacy, his his legacy of poems and prose and, yeah. and lyrics. And what dram would you share with him? I think I would probably share two drams with him. Definitely share a, a Bon Haven. I might make it the twelfth. Nice, because I'm being solid. And um, you know, we're touching the fact that that occasionally the 12 gets called the ladies' dram, and Burns was definitely a ladies' man. <laughs> so so, so we'd maybe do that, but also would maybe just have, and uh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but would maybe have a dram of some Johnny Walker. Okay. Because, sadly, Johnny Walker um, used to employ about 900 people down in Kilmarnock, and they, they were hugely influential in Ayrshire for a long time, uh, including when I was down there. I still consider Johnny Walker to be an Ayrshire dram, and obviously Burns spent most of his days in Ayrshire. So yeah. so a little bit of Johnny Walker, but mostly a nice drama bond I have in with him. I love Good. that choice. You cannot argue with the 12. <laughs> and it also shows that I'm not greedy. Oh, brilliant. So, David, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for the laughs and all oh. the information about our favourite distillery. Yeah, Absolutely. My pleasure. The only really... way that can be, be finished satisfactorily is when the two of you get your way back to Isla. Yes. And, you, and you'll come and be my guest at the distillery. We would love that. Make yeah. that happen. Let's make it happen. We will make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And we'll do some live recording on Isla for the podcast. Thanks so very much, David. My pleasure. Dram on fire. Let's start with the six-year-old 2014 canasta, uh, which is a single cask bottled at 61% ABV, so quite a heavy going. What did you think about the aromas? First on my tasting notes are diving and bathing it. I just wanted to sink myself, immerse myself in the aromas. I thought in the nose it is just poof, paradise. At first I didn't get, you know, so much of the sherry notes um, that came a bit later. First I got kind of a fresh salty breeze, kind of lemon zest and runny honey. But then with the, the air, much more sherry notes came through for me, Inca. You know, lovely like dark chocolate and, you know, the, the sweetness on the nose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it needs a little while with the air. 
Yeah. First, it was quite sweet and then dark chocolate and some, you know, classic cherry dried fruit stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A bit of muscovado sugar, some heather, maybe heather honey, yeah. Or like nice. something a bit floral, but not super floral. So like I was thinking heather, heather honey, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And some Christmas cake with air because I like to leave it before I add the yeah. water and stuff. See, so everything you've said is what I was expecting with this mm. you know this release i wouldn't have thought the the abv was as high on the palate one no yeah no. even with the nose i think with the, the next one felt stronger even if the abv is yeah less. so i really can understand why david mentioned that the canasta but could be a bit of a dangerous dram mm. definitely color amber slash golden nice oh. color I, I would have gone even darker, like mahogany almost. Oh, really? Oh, really? But I don't know. Maybe I think mahogany is lighter than it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought it was I thought it was a really beautiful colour. Yeah. So how about the palette then? How did it transfer to the palette? I've got a kind of like subtle almond sponge cake, honeysuckle, almost mm -hmm. floral notes. And like I've put, again, I think I'm like just, I'm trying to like, hone my poetic chat but just again sounding super pretentious gentle mist of, br <laughs> of brine <laughs> which kind of sounds like somebody spraying yeah. spraying the tuna brine or something no but I actually did feel like just a real lightness of brininess and I did get maybe a kind of sherry soaked raisin but not Do you find strong any at all. spiciness or like hot like cause I found it quite warming and hot I actually didn't although when I like I never read other people's tasting notes about a whiskey until after I've done yeah, my own I know and like but and I'm like oh I think I've been drinking something different to everyone else because I didn't maybe David gave me a different sample by accident <laughs> just, just testing us it, yeah oh funny I got dried plums or prunes or something I don't know dark chocolate still on the palate as well mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and there was definitely black pepper and I found it quite mouth coating and yeah hot like it was hot and sweaty. Then with the air, I was getting also some fig jam. Like there was that kind oh, of sweetness, but still very nice. You know? I love fig jam. Mm, so good with cheese. Mm, mm, mm. Did you try it with water? I was going to, and then I just like was stubborn and thought, no, I don't. I'm not. I don't want it with water. But I, sh I, I maybe should have done. <laughs> what well, did you? I did. I did. But like, you definitely didn't miss out because. On the nose, it turned a bit more earthy. Didn't get all that Christmas cake and the sugar and things like that. It was definitely a bit more earthy. And then on the palate, it was maybe spicier, like the black pepper mm -hmm, lasted mm -hmm. a bit longer and made the palate much more drier rather than like nice mouth coatings. And it stayed very warm. But yeah, I don't know. I didn't like definitely with water it wasn't didn't make it any better mm -hmm. how did you find the finish I've kind of I found it quite a long finish quite lingering and a subtle oaky wood but again I was getting this lemon yeah yeah I think there's a little bit lemon there somewhere it wasn't like super long medium-ish more sweetness definitely on the finish did you yeah. enjoy it doesn't I'm not sensing that you're salivating over this whiskey um I actually quite liked it Mm -hmm. I definitely quite liked it, mm -hmm. but I just, I didn't like it with water. Like the water, the one just, yeah. you know, when it just makes it too dry or too 
spicy and stuff. Everything happens to be more spicy with water. Yeah, yes. Which is not my favorite. But like no. I, I loved all the notes and I did spend quite a lot of time with it to try mm-hmm. to figure out like, okay, dried fruits, what kind of dried fruits, what mm-hmm. is it? That's why I end up like with fig jams and dried plums and things like that. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It was not what I expected. Um, what I got from it was not what I anticipated, but I did really enjoy it. Yeah. So how about the other one? It's the PX. No. The PX. Yeah. So that was a 17-year-old uh, ABV 52%. So bottled 2004. I thought that colour was a bit lighter, a bit of a honey colour. Yeah, 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 definitely like golden honey. It took me a long time to get anything with this. I was really struggling with tasting notes and notes for the aroma with this. Yeah, you too? I found it, but like, again, I don't know, because this happened to me once before when we did this recording and it was really hot here and my whiskey was just overly warm but I got this kind of alcohol fumes again so it was really hard to go past it Mm. you know like when every time you try to sniff a little bit it's just like I felt I was having to stick my nose right in it and I felt I was almost going to inhale the liquid because I was like having to like (laughs) inhale like a champion and I was like sitting for ages yeah same same I went back and literally only things I managed to write down is citrus honey woody and that's it. <laughs> I wrote down summer dried grass. And then I thought, oh, I think that's hay. You know, like that horses oh, eat. Yeah. Yeah? Mm. So I kind of got like aroma of hay, honey nut loops. You know, the cereal for kids. Yeah. The honey nut loop cereal and nut butter. Nut butter. <laughs> you mean <laughs> like peanut butter? No, but you know, like in the health food shop when they make like almond and other nuts all like up into oh. like a nut butter. Have you ever had that? No, I've had the milk, but not the butter. Yeah. It's like you get it in like health food shops and stuff, nut butter. (laughs) It's like got a gazillion calories in it. I quite like it. Anyway, (laughs) I got that. (laughs) What about the palette for you? I've written at the top of mine on the palette, taste blind. I felt like (laughs) going taste blind because I was really struggling to get like to know what I was tasting I thought it was there was certain kind of thickness on the mouthfeel mm-hmm. which was quite pleasant a lot of like rich honey which right. then goes quite well with the texture mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there was definitely like a chili black pepper bite on the like right on the tip of your tongue which was quite pleasant and then there's some sort of sweetness that then I, I thought like sugar syrup from a tin of apricots but again, it goes back to the, the mouthfeel a lot, I think, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the sweetness. But then, like, I did add water later on after I've been, like, with the air and sniffing, and I'll just try it. And it became really oaky and lemony, and the finish was even spicier. Like, again, I didn't prefer the water. That's interesting. All I've written down for it, this is without water, is oaky and sour orange. So I had, oh. like, citrus and oakiness. I definitely, yeah, on the finish, I wrote orangey, like something with Mm -hmm. orange. And then after a while, I'm thinking, okay, like almost like a, I don't know if you do this kind of, in Finland, we do, you know, if you do a birthday cake or summer cake or something, it's Mm kind of like a sponge cake, but then you have to soak the the cake with some sort of liquid. So it doesn't become a dry, you know? So I was thinking, oh, like orange water or something. So the orange is like soaked into the cake, like in, you know, in the sponge. So that yeah. was my 
finish and again woody wasn't too long i've got a short finish and i found it quite drying on the mouth you know like on the finish i was not blown away no actually when like now that i'm reading back this tasting notes i'm thinking oh it sounds quite nice but actually it was okay mm-hmm. but it wasn't like the other one was definitely much better I much preferred the other one. I think it might have been sold out already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's the second fill PX and, you know, quite old one. So it's got quite a lot more connection with the wood. Okay. Yeah, that but makes it's sense. made it more oaky, spicy, lemony. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, it was very unusual for PX. Yeah. I would be interested to hear how other people that have like sampled this or, or you know, had a bottle of it, how they found it. I still prefer my 12 year old and the um, toy tech agar. 100%. I was just going to say that. And like it's, that one's super pricey. I think maybe like, I don't know if it's sold out, the PX cask, but I think it was like about 160 something pounds. Yeah. And interesting. Yeah, Definitely. like, and very grateful to have had the opportunity to sample it. Yeah, and I love that how we had such a different tasting notes to it. It really just makes me think how much the heat affects. Yeah. Whiskey sisters, whiskey fact. So for today's fact, I would like to thank one of our listeners who asked us a question recently about the Aaron whiskey bottle labels. So we got a message from a lovely listener in San Diego in America, which is very glamorous. (laughs) And she said she'd recently bought a bottle of Aaron and was asking about the embossed label and was it Braille? We didn't know the answer to this, did we? But never fear, Mariella Romano is here, our previous guest. So Mariella told us that the Aaron packs are built using natural materials and tactile effects to make the experience more sensory. And as a brand, they knew that Braille is something that's not commonly featured on spirit packaging. And they felt they wanted to use the embossed effects um, and to make it available to help tell the story of Aaron through Braille, making the whiskey more accessible to a wider audience, allowing them to engage fully with the packs in a meaningful way. Aaron whiskey bottles have got Braille on the label. Whiskey fact right there. Yes, that's really cool. I'm going to go after this recording. I'm going to go and dig out my iron bottle and go, give it a rubbing. feel. Give it a rub. <laughs> yeah. You've been too keen to get tore into that whiskey. Not even bothered about that before, Inca. Yeah, but you know, we've been talking about um, like Clan Livet, you know, the new campaign, trying to make whiskey more accessible to all and like yeah, break and the cool. stereotypes, including everyone. So this is just one step. To exactly. And, fantastic. And yeah, fantastic. So thank you both to our lovely listener and to Mariela for that whiskey fact. Season one, you have rocked. So next week is our season finale. <laughs> Are we no. crying? Are we happy? I don't know. Mixed yeah. feelings, right? Feels like celebratory, but I'm going to be like crying into my pillow. <laughs> or into your brand. Empty glass. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we will be sampling some great whiskies, including the one and only Artcore. Ah. We love you, Dr. Bill. <laughs> yes. 
And we will take a look back to the beginning. We may even salvage some material that you've never heard before. You never know. And we've had a bit of a chat and got some feedback from some of our listeners throughout the season. And we might even have a few awards given to our favourite whiskies. So stay posted and join us for a celebratory season finale. Pour yourself the dram of your choice and just be there or be square. And meanwhile, you can keep up to date on all things Whiskey Sisters as always on our Instagram, whiskeysisters.podcast, Twitter at Whiskey Sisters, and Facebook at Whiskey Sisters Podcast. And actually, I'm just going to take this moment as well to say that if you missed our Instagram live on last Sunday, where we had Rob from the Whiskey Ventures, go to our Instagram and watch it back because it's awesome. Amazing. He is doing some amazing stuff. I don't know how his legs can carry him all that distance, but as Inca says, check it out. Right, my Buna soul sister. Ciao for now. Ciao for now. <laughs> Arrivederci. <laughs>